But today I want to talk about vision. I want to speak for a few moments about vision because the reality is that if, if we're going to go above and beyond where we've gone in our relationship with God, if we're going to see God do a new thing in our life, in our lifetime, and through our gifting, how many of you understand it's going to require that we have a vision for what God wants? God's intention was never that we just kind of aimlessly run around. You know, Paul said, I don't, I don't swing like a boxer punching the air. You know, we're not just throwing like ghost haymakers out here hoping we do something significant. No, he said, I, I, I discipline myself. And, and if we're going to do something great for God, we've got to get a vision. It was on the campus of Rice University on September 12, 1962, that President Kennedy made an address. And in that speech, he cast a big vision for America. On September 12, 1962, he made a statement that we are going to the moon. And it was going to take a whole lot of manpower. And it was going to take a whole lot of money. And it was going to take a lot of time. But how many of you understand none of that stuff would have played out and got the results that they got if it didn't start with a clear vision? This is what we're going to do in this decade. And so it has to begin with a clear vision. Helen Keller was asked one time, what could be worse than being blind? You know what she said? She said, having sight and no vision. God has a vision for your life that he wants you to understand and to tap into. And, and I just want to stir your faith for a few moments today to consider what is your moonshot? I mean, what is that thing that, that seems impossible, but, but you're hearing the voice of the Lord stirring in you a word that maybe, just maybe, this could happen. Maybe this could happen. Can I get a little more specific? I mean, what is the thing that you see when you close your eyes? What is the moonshot for your marriage? What's the, what's the moonshot for your children? When you think about your family, Maybe you're a young parent and you've got small kids. Maybe they were up here just a few moments ago. What do you think about when you think about their children or your great-grandchildren? What do you think about when you think about legacy? What's the thing that you want God to do in the area of your finances? What's your moonshot today? Because God wants you to have a vision. And the reality is, I think there are actually Christians, a lot of them, who almost feel like it's wrong to even ask that question. I mean, I, I believe, because I've met them, and I don't know where they attend church, but I've met them, they, they feel like it would be almost a sin to, to ask the question, what do I want? I mean, what do I really want? And I think the reason that, that we get that to that place is, is because we look at verses like, like the one in Jeremiah chapter 17 in verse 9, and here's what it says. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we read a verse like that, and we go, wow, my heart is evil, my heart is wicked, and so we come to the rationalization that, that if I'm going to really honor God with my life, I mean, if I'm really going to make God happy, then, then I've got to be careful that I don't pursue anything that my heart desires. And so if I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm going to spend my life running from the things that would probably make me happy. 
Is it any wonder that we got so many miserable Christians out there? Right? I'm not the only one that's met them, right? I mean, long in the face. I mean, they got such a sad, long face. I mean, they, they could, you know, lick buttermilk out of a gopher hole, standing straight up, just long in the face. And I don't know why we think that, but it's almost like we're more spiritual if we don't go after the things that we want. Can I give you another verse? Because that is true. It is true that the heart is deceitful. It is, it is true that a sinful heart is a deceitful heart, which, by the way, that's why Jesus never said to sinful people, follow your heart. I know that's what, you know, pop psychology would say. Jesus never said to sinful people, follow your heart. He said, follow me, because I know where I'm going. Follow me. But what about a person that is following Jesus? What about a person who's been in the water? What about a person who's given their heart and their life to Jesus? A person who has a powerful testimony like, like Jeff shared today, and like Roy and Chelsea shared that says, my life has changed because of what Jesus has done. Do I still have to go around with this fear if I go after the desires of my heart, somehow I'm going to upset the God who created me? Let me give you a different verse. It says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, God says speaking, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. Amen. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then he goes on to say, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So this is what happens when a person gets a new life. The spirit of God comes to live on the inside. You get a new heart. And with that new heart, his spirit guides you and moves you to do the very will of God for your life. That, that's why we can as believers, we can hold on with confidence to promises like the one in Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that good news for the church this morning? That if, if we'll delight in the Lord, if we'll seek him first, He'll give us a new heart. He'll put his spirit within us. And what this verse says is that we can now go after the desires of our heart. Can I give you just a, a practical translation of that verse? It's this. Fall madly in love with Jesus and then do what you want. Now, I know that's even Some of you are like, well, I don't know. You probably took it a step too far. No, listen. Listen. Fall madly in love with Jesus first, and then do what you want. Because the things you used to want after you came to Christ, those desires changed, didn't they? Something changed on the inside. I, I don't have the same desires. I don't have the same addictions pulling in my life. I don't have that same battle with the sinful nature that I used to have. There's something that's different about my life. My priorities have aligned with his priorities. And if I'm madly in love with Jesus, I'm just going to go after my dreams. I'm going to take a moonshot. And I'm going to see what God can do through a life that's yielded to his plan and purpose. See, Jesus later spoke about this priority list. And in Matthew chapter 6, his disciples wanted to know how to pray. They said, Jesus teaches how to pray. And he said in Matthew 6, 9, he said, this then 
is how you should pray. Many of you could quote it. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now let me stop right there. Do you know what that is? That's an upward vision. That's an upward vision. Now, when Jesus said, our Father, that sounds pretty normal to us. We say that, we sing that, but I'm going to tell you, that was revolutionary to this crowd. They didn't understand that they could have an intimate, personal relationship with the God of heaven. Nobody prayed like that. Nobody called God their Father. Jesus was saying, you have access to a personal relationship with a loving Father. He's our Father, but he didn't stop there. He said, our Father, who art in heaven. There's an acknowledgement here that that God is way up here and I'm way down here, that he is the Lord, that he's the one who has an established throne, not me. And then he said, hallowed be your name or holy. In other words, he reverenced God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord, reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so he's saying, if you want to come into prayer, this is how you pray. But he's not just saying, this is how you pray. What Jesus is doing is he's giving them a priority list for how you approach God. If you're going to come to God, you recognize him as the Father. He's he's exalted. He sits on the throne. And we come to him. And if there's anything in our lives that doesn't align with his priorities and his plans, those things have to come into alignment. That's why the very next thing that Jesus said in the prayer, he said, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, when you pray, you acknowledge the fact that God's will is being fulfilled in heaven right now. And he wants his will to be fulfilled in your life. And so we align ourselves with an upward vision Later in that same chapter, Jesus spoke about it again. In in verse 33, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you have an upward vision, if your heart is fully surrendered to God, if his spirit is now moving in you and leading you to follow and obey his commands, then, then all these other things that you would worry about, you don't have to worry about. You can go full throttle towards the vision and the purpose for your life. God wants to do something above and beyond what you could ask or think or imagine. You got to get a vision for it. You you, you got to have a moonshot in your mind and know what you're aiming for. And here's the beauty of the plan and purpose of God. When you surrender your life to him, When he gives you a new heart, he puts his vision in seed form in your heart. The dreams, the plans, the purposes that he has for you, they're they're already germinating on the inside of your spirit. That's why when I pray for my daughters, oftentimes at night, I don't pray God give them good dreams. I mean, those are better than bad dreams, right? I mean, but I don't just pray God give them good dreams. I say, God, Give them God dreams. Give them God dreams. I don't want my daughters to to grow up thinking, if I'm going to honor God, I'm going to have to sacrifice every one of my desires. If I'm going to really please God, I can't go after the things that my heart beats for and my palms sweat over. I can't go after the things that I feel hardwired to do because, hey, my heart's deceitful and God probably wants something that's way more boring for me. No. 
I want them to know that while they were young and their, their faith was, was childlike and their heart was fertile soil, God began to deposit seeds and desires and dreams on the inside of them. And so long as they will live their life yielded to the Spirit's leading, they can pursue the dreams and desires and plans with all their heart. God puts it on the inside. He puts it on the inside of you first. Let me give you a verse. I love the way the message translation gives us Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. You got to just look at this on the screen. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. See, a lot of people, you don't know. You don't know, and for some people, you even think, if I can just get all that figured out, then maybe I'll add God into the equation. You got it all backwards. You're never going to figure it out until you add God into the equation, because it's in Christ that we know who we are and what it is we're living for. Long before, it says, we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us had designs on us for glorious living. Isn't that good? I mean, long before you were thinking about getting up and coming to church on a Sunday morning, long before you had any desire to do anything that would seek God or honor God, he's up there in the heavens. He's got blueprints. He's got designs on your life for glorious living, not a life of drudgery, He's got beautiful plans. See, here's the lie of the enemy, and here's the hesitation that a lot of us have experienced. We actually are convinced that the the plan we've come up with might be a better plan than the plan God had. And so there's this hesitation to fully surrender and buy in to what God wants to do in your life because you think somehow in your finite thinking that you created a better life strategy than the God who made you. It didn't happen, okay? Can I just tell you, however good your plan might be, Jesus laid it out really clear in John 10 and 10. He said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the fullest. The plan that Jesus has for you, the seed that God has deposited in a dream form in your heart is a better plan than anyone you can come up with. It's a better plan. And I love the way this verse just says, Long before we heard about Christ or even got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living, and it was part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and in everyone. God has a plan to give you a full life. He wants to give you a vision for what that can look like today. You know, a a vision... Is just a picture of a preferred future. That's what it is. It's a picture of a preferred future. So when I say a vision, I'm not just talking about motivational speech. I'm talking about seeing in your heart and in your mind a preferred future. What does it look like? You got to understand, secondly, today, if you're going to grab a hold of what God wants to do, in your future, you have to see it with eyes of faith. You, you have to see it with eyes of faith. I love the story in Joshua chapter 6 about how 
the Israelites conquered Jericho by marching around the walls seven times, once a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day. And, and then they lifted up a shout, and they blew the horns, and, and the walls fell down. It's an incredible story of, of God fighting our battles for us if we'll just walk step by step daily in obedience to his commands. But if you go to the beginning of chapter 6, there's a powerful moment that happens. And I just want to look at that verse for a minute. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He begins by just stating the facts, and here they are. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. That's what's happening in the natural. As Joshua and the Israelites are encamped uh, on the banks, they're looking over the Jordan, they're looking at Jericho. The people of Jericho, they know they're out there, so the city gates are closed and barred shut. But look at verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. I love that. I mean, do you see what's happening here? Joshua's looking at a city who looks like an impenetrable fortress. And God says, See, I gave it to you. Not I will give it to you, not it's going to be mine. He said, see, I've already given you Jericho and its kings and all its fighting men. What's happening here is God is saying, Joshua, I'm not asking you to see with your natural eyes in 2020 vision. I'm asking you to go above and beyond what you can naturally see and understand. I'm asking you to see it with faith. That's what I'm talking about. If you're going to see and believe what God has for you, the, the plan that he has to prosper your life, your family. You, you got to see it with eyes of faith. You got to see beyond your, your experience. You got to see beyond what you think you already know about how things will go. You got to see it with faith. See, if you can see the invisible, I believe you can do the impossible. But we lose the battle right here. We lose the battle in our mind. The Bible encourages us. We walk by faith, not by sight. See, if they had walked by sight, they would have never marched on day one, one time around the walls of Jericho because they wouldn't have believed they were going to win the battle. They had to see it by faith first and believe God's already given us this city. Now let's just walk as if it's already happened. I mean, you don't march around a city within reach of archers unless you think you've already got the upper hand. But they just bravely marched around the walls of the city day after day. Why? Because they could already see it. And yet some of us were, were paralyzed by fear of the unknown. And we're afraid to step in to the moonshot of our potential in God because we won't see it through eyes of faith. Let me, let me just bring this down to where I live. I remember a time in my life just a few years ago where I had the opportunity to see a vision of what God wanted to do. It was in 2000. 14, at the beginning of the year, it was my first winter pastoring this church here. And I'll tell you what I knew coming in, because I know this is always God's plan for the church. God wanted this church to be healthy. I knew that. And, and, and God you know, wants it to be healthy, and most things that are healthy grow. And so I, I had some general ideas about what God wanted to do. But when I came to this church, I, I even told the leadership, and they could attest to this, some of them that were in that meeting are in this room right now. And I said, look, I'm not coming with a three-ring binder of how to build a church. I, I, don't, I don't have a playbook here. 
I'm going to preach the word and I'm going to pray. I'm going to get on my face and I'm going to seek God. And God's going to give me a vision for this house. And then everything that we do is going to follow that vision. That's the way I feel God's calling me to lead. And everyone at that table said, that's what we want. We want God to give us a vision. We want to see God do something new in in this church, in our lifetime, in this generation. And it was that first winter that one of the members in our church who was dearly loved, not just in this congregation, but in this community, she passed away. And we had the funeral here for Ruby Yoakum. And man, when we had that funeral that Saturday, this church started filling up. And I had I'd never seen 200 people in, in this church before. And it started filling up. In fact, I, one of the members of that committee of advisors at that time, Ted Reigert, he was in our 9 a.m. service this morning. He saw it too, and, and he just went upstairs. Now, there used to be a window back there where our video screen is. There used to be a window into the kids' ministry area. And, uh, and he went up there and, and took a picture. I want to show you this picture. He took that picture that morning, and, and I'm so glad that he did. I so, I'm so glad he took that picture because God gave me a vision that day. God gave me some thoughts that day that gave clarity to what he wanted to do. Because I realized on, on that Sunday, when you get 200 people in this room, you are, you are way out of parking spaces and toilet seats. Like, this building just is not going to accommodate that. We'd have a lot of frustrated people. I'm telling you, we, we'd have an hard, even harder time getting an amen if we had 200 people here in the sanctuary every Sunday. And I realized this was a funeral. And so there's, there's not very many kids here. But when I began to look at the demographics of our church, and that it was getting younger and younger, I realized that if we have 200 adults in here, that means we're going to have over 40 children in the rest of the building. And our nursery's way too small, even after adding a second nursery. And, and, and the kids' bathrooms are, are not big enough, and, and we don't have enough room in preschool, and, and the kids' ministry wouldn't sustain that. And so God just began to, to give me clarity. Now listen, the, the mission hadn't changed. We know what our mission is. We're called to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. But God began to give me clarity on the vision. So you know what? It's exciting. I mean, trust me, every preacher likes a packed house. Every preacher wants to preach to a a packed house. But God began to to show me in that moment that that's not the way you're going to build this thing. Because of the limitations in the rest of the building, 150 people in here is pretty much the capacity. Now, we got more seats, and we can set them out when we need to, but but. You start getting more than 150 in here, it's not sustainable. And God began to show me in the winter, February of 2014, you know this, how this thing's going to grow? It's going to be 350 people in three weekend services in a community of less than 2,200 people. God began to let that vision come, to lie, come alive in my spirit, and I could see it. I could see it even after the funeral was over and we came back the next weekend and, and we didn't have enough people to, to halfway fill up one service. I already knew this is, this is where we're going. Get that picture of you know, 200 people worshiping in here out of your mind. It doesn't fit. Why? Because a vision gives clarity. And some of you, you're, just, you're, just, you know, you're shooting into the wind. and you're not, You want God to use your life, but you don't really know what he wants. And for some of us, you're afraid to go after what you want. 
Like, like it might be a trick of the enemy or something. No, you need to surrender all that you have and all that you are to God and receive the, the dream that he wants to put on the inside of you and then get a vision from God and go after it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God began to clarify for me what it's going to look like. And I, I don't have time to go into all the details of it, but let me tell you, that's not just some random number out there of, of three services and 350 people. There's, there's, there's vision and goals tied to that. There's, there's ministry goals that are tied to where God's taking us. There's, there's missions goals that are tied to where God, there's staffing goals that are tied to where God is taking us as a church. There's things that, that, that we just hoped for and, and prayed for. I, I just recently saw come up on my memories uh, one of the first events that I took students to. It was a youth convention. There was four of them. We had four students. One of them was my daughter. One was Alicia, who was up here earlier. They were like middle schoolers. And two other students that were a part of that. But how many students did we take this year to youth convention? It was 28, I think, 28 students. And, and I thought, you know, praise God. Praise God for that. I want to tell you, when I was driving everybody to the event in my minivan, I was thinking about the day that we're going to need a couple, we're going to need a couple 15 passenger vans. Well, just about a month ago, we bought our first 25 passenger bus to get those students to youth convention. Amen? Why? Because God began to make a vision clear. Now, I'm just talking about myself. I don't know what your moonshot is, but let me tell you, seeking and going after the dream and the desire that God has put in your heart is not drudgery. I, I want to tell you, I, I'm not bearing the cross of pastoring this church. I love pastoring this church. This is what I'm called to do. This is who God made me to be. And he has uniquely shaped you for something as well. And, and I don't know what it is for you, but I want to promise you, you don't have to run from those desires and dreams that are on the inside of you when you've received a new heart and a new spirit and the heart of stone is gone and a heart of flesh is there. and God can mold you and shape you into who he's called you to be. What do you want to be? What's your moonshot? I'm going to challenge you to get a God-sized dream. And see what he'll do through your life. You'll have eyes of faith to see the things that God wants for you. Then he'll take you above and beyond your present reality. The last thing you have to know, and I want to really challenge, challenge you with this. If you look at the story of Joshua, there's something unique that happens right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which leads right into Joshua chapter 1. In fact, let me just show you this verse real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8. It says, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now, now most of you already know Moses was the leader of Israel. I mean, none like him. Moses was the one who stretched out his staff and led them across the Red Sea and, and through the wilderness and, and sent all the plagues on Egypt. And God used him so incredibly. He died at the end of Deuteronomy. And for 30 days, the people mourned. They lamented. They cried their tears. It goes on a little farther in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 34. It says, 
For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so we come to the end of Deuteronomy and we see this incredible man, Moses. And you can almost feel it because we've all felt it before. There's this, this, this sense that, well, that was our opportunity. I mean, if anybody was going to take us there, it was that guy. I mean, if we were ever going to really see our dreams fulfilled, if we were ever going to make that moonshot, Moses was the man. And it even reiterates here, there was nobody like him. Nobody performed miracles. Nobody saw awesome deeds like Moses in all of Israel. And then you turn the page and you go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the son of uh, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Here's the word of encouragement to Joshua, who now carries the mantle of being the leader of the people of Israel. What good news does God have to bring me today? Look at verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Kind of stating the obvious, right? <laughs> like we just had a 30-day funeral. Like we. We know, but what's happening here? I'll tell you what's happening. God is saying to Joshua, stop looking back. That's what I want to say to us today. If you're going to go above and beyond and do the things that God still has for you to do, stop looking back. God's just kind of just putting it all out there and saying, you know, he deserved to be honored. What happened was incredible. We've had this 30 days, but Joshua, stop looking back. Moses is dead. Now then, he says, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. It's almost like he's emphasizing this was never about Moses. This was something I was doing for them, and it doesn't hinge on that one person. So stop looking back and start preparing to move forward to the thing that I have purpose for your life. Can I just say to us that the one thing that every one of us has in common today? I don't know what your past story is, and I might not know the details, and Certainly don't know what everybody's dreams and ambitions are and what that thing is that you would hope or aspire to do with your life. But I can tell you one thing that that puts all of us in common. There's not a person here who can do anything to change anything about yesterday. You can't change it. I can't change it. Stop looking back. Just stop looking back. You can't undo it. Some of you, you need to receive forgiveness today because the the guilt and the condemnation that you've allowed yourself to live in has not only hurt you in the past, but it's robbed you of the future. You need to just receive grace today. You need to receive forgiveness. Some of you, you need to forgive. You've held on to the hurts of yesterday as if sometimes holding on to them tightly is somehow doing damage to the people that hurt you. But you're the only one losing sleep. And unforgiveness is a prison door that locks from the inside. And you will never reach your purpose and God-ordained potential if you don't learn how to forgive. 
Stop looking back. By you forgiving them, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean they weren't wrong. It means that you're refusing to let somebody who stole from you yesterday live rent-free in your tomorrow. You got to let it go. Stop looking back. For some of you, it's, 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 a, it's an identity. It's a label. Somebody stuck it on you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was something that someone said to you when you were young, and it just it stuck. And, and that label, you've, you've lived under it. It's become a lid on your life. And every time you think about what you could do, you look back. And you keep going back. And, and God wants somebody to hear this today. God wants you to stop looking back. Stop trying to live life in the rearview mirror. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. There's something that you can go after with all your strength. But you got to stop looking back. See, every one of us, we, we need a faith-filled vision. We need it from God. But hasn't he done it before? I mean, let, let's not let this just be ethereal. Let, let, let's be honest. Haven't you had a situation before where you hoped for something and God came through? Why not today? Why not today? Why not now? I want to ask the worship team if they'll come back up here and they're going to they're play that song that, that we sang earlier. And I just want to challenge you today because I just sense in my heart that, that the new life God wants to bring for some of us is freedom from our past. For some of you, the new life that God wants to bring you is permission to go after the things that, that God has given you the passions to go after. Some, some of us, maybe you need to reject the lie of the enemy that thinks I'm either going to serve God or I'm going to enjoy my life. No. No, the sweet spot of purpose is when you are most satisfied in Him, He's most glorified through you. When I'm in my lane and I'm doing the thing that I know God has put me on the earth to do, He gets maximum glory and I get maximum gratification. That's the plan of God. And for some of you, you just need to say, Devil, not today. You, you've lied to me long enough. But God gave me a new heart. And he put his spirit inside to move me and guide me. And I'm going to rise up and see through eyes of faith. I'm going I'm I'm to shoot the moon on this one because if God is for me, who can be against me? I want to ask you if you'd stand with me all over this room. We're about to pray. Would you just bow your head with me right where you're standing? Father, thank you that right now your, your presence is in this place. I sense your spirit right now, God. And you're calling some people. Or you're, 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 you're fertilizing the seed of a dream that's been allowed to die. Maybe it was because of other people. Maybe it was because of a religious spirit. I, I don't know, but Lord, we've allowed the dream to be dormant for too long. And God, today, I just sense you, the, the author of life, 
We're wanting to bring resurrection life to our hearts. God, I pray for the person here today that, that has just come to this moment before in some form or fashion, but the result is always the same. They look back. We look back, but today's a new day, God. I believe by faith there are men and women all over this room, young and old, who are drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm not going to look back any longer. I'm not going to live in yesterday's regrets. I'm not going to hold on to yesterday's hurts. I'm not going to let those who stole from me in my yesteryear live rent-free in my tomorrow. Today, God, I, I receive grace. Today, I receive forgiveness. Today, I extend forgiveness. They have no hold on me anymore. I give it to you, God. If that's you today and you just sense God is wanting to birth a new dream on the inside of you, would you just raise a hand toward heaven? Come on, all over this room. Hands are going up. Just, if that's you today, say, God is speaking.